0: All right, we can go ahead and get started. Um, Title uh, today, I called Murmurings here, and and you'll see why in a minute. Um, We're going to step a little bit outside of Exodus, uh, get into numbers a little bit as well, kind of differentiating between the book of Exodus and this whole bigger Exodus story uh, that we've been talking about. Um, So our little overview slide here. Um, Last week, uh, we talked about the law a little bit. Uh, Here, we're going to be talking about the resistance of the people. Um, I did want to share, I thought it was interesting, um, reading a little bit about uh, the covenant and the giving of the laws. I came across Leviticus ten nine through 11. And the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, Wine and strong drink you shall not drink, you and your sons with you when you come into the tent of meeting lest you die. A perpetual statute for your generations to divide between the holy and the profane and between the unclean and the clean and to teach the Israelites all the statutes that the Lord spoke to them by the hand of Moses. Last week we, we ta- had a good discussion about, um, when Seth was teaching about, uh, the giving of the laws and, and this idea of, I think it was Vanna that brought up, you know, why do we have laws? It's kind of what a community maybe agreed upon. And we had this example of, you know, Singapore, um, no chewing gum basically on the streets. And that's one that, that they've agreed upon and, and kind of what makes their society tick. Um, but here, what the Israelites have um, is a God who's giving those laws, right, and who's also uh, judge over them. So, you know, you can look at some of these uh, in Exodus, Leviticus, parts of Numbers that just seem pretty weird, right, to us in in modern times. But I think this idea of um, dividing between the holy and the profane—you know—if you, know, you kind of keep that in your mind of of kind of what God's doing is is setting things apart. Then, of course, we talked about we had Jesus come um, and give basically the two commands under which all of the laws are, right? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So, um, and I think God knew that it was going to be tough for us, right? That's why he calls it a perpetual statute, right? Um, you know, it's, it's definitely hard for us to, um, to maybe put things in perspective that they they should be. So we're going to look a little bit at uh, something else that's perpetual, um, like I said, the, the murmurings of the people. Uh, here was a couple quotes on faith. Um, this one was, was shared in the um, the book that we're kind of using as a little bit of the basis for this class. The authentic, only, and deepest theme in the history of the world and humanity to which all others are subordinated remains a conflict between faith and unbelief. And This is one that, that I like here. Uh, faith is what someone knows to be true, whether they believe it or not. So let's keep those uh, keep that idea of faith and keep those in the in the back of your mind as as we go along here, and you'll see why. So like I said, we're going to get into uh, Exodus a fair amount, um, but let's start or get into numbers a fair amount, but let's start here. Does someone mind uh, reading this aloud for us? Exodus 14, eleven through 12. Thanks. So, what, is, what do the Israelites seem preoccupied with here? I've kind of tried to highlight it. seems like they're still stuck in Egypt. And what's the, we didn't read it, but what's the context? What's going on when they say this? Where are they? Where are we at in the story? Right. Yeah, they're out of, you know, they've started, right? But they haven't got to the Red Sea. So, they have the Red Sea on one side, and they see Pharaoh bearing bearing down on them. Um, in this instance, but they're, here they're still preoccupied with with Egypt, with you know basically where they were slaves, right? Um, let's look at a few more instances here. Um, so these recurrent murmurings, as as many translate them, are grumblings or complaints, however you want to phrase it. There's kind of a a theme, basically, right? The the people um, protest their misery or their perceived misery uh, or Moses' leadership. Or sometimes both, um, you know later we see then god 's wrath uh, flares up against the people. Uh, he goes about to punish them, oftentimes killing a fair amount of people, right. Uh, Moses intercedes, and then God kind of backs off uh, so let's uh, let 's read some of these. We already read uh, fourteen, eleven, and twelve. Um, how does God react well. Even better, we we kind of know he knew what was going to happen. Can someone read chapter thirteen, verse seventeen?
1: As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horses. Uh, was that fourteen,
0: seventeen, or thirteen? Okay, I was like, I either wrote the wrong one or. Let's do thirteen, sorry. I thought what well,
1: I read. <laughs> all right. Let's see if we can get this right. Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not leave them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near, for God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt.
0: Thanks. So God already kind of saw this happening, right? Um, he I guess basically viewed it as maybe inevitable that, that the people would want to turn back. Um, And yet, here here we go. We continue on. Um, How about Exodus 15, 22 through 24?
2: Yeah.
0: There, yeah. What class do you, you guys want to teach? Come on up here. <laughs> Great, so here the setting is they're thirsty, right? Um, what does God do? He solves their problem, right? Transforms the water into something they can drink. Did they mention Egypt here? No, so maybe they're learning, maybe they're over it. We'll see. Um, how about uh, Exodus 16, 1 through 3? Thanks. So again, here uh, we have hunger. Uh, we can read on and see that this is when God provided the quail and manna. Uh, do they mention Egypt here? Yeah, they do. And even more so, um, they seem to think that their death is imminent. Right? They said, oh, "We'd have rather died in Egypt." Uh, I I would think that you wouldn't be saying you'd have rather died if you didn't think you were about to die. Um, you know, maybe inferring there, but um, they're still stuck on this this Egypt, right? Uh, Let's keep going. Exodus 17, 1 through 3. So then Moses calls out to the Lord saying, What shall I do with this people? Yet a little more and they will stone me. So here's the same thing. They're thirsty. Um, We can read on and see uh, that God has Moses strike the rock and water comes forth. Um, Massah and Meribah, uh, we can read later, uh, mean testing and dispute. Um, So the Israelites uh, were disputing and and testing the Lord here. Um, But here's a question. Do you think, uh, verse 4, Do you think Moses really thought that people were going to kill him? (coughs) What do you think is going on with Moses there? Purely just opinion. There's no... Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Chuck. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Jesus says in Luke 13, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you, right? So there's maybe some kind of seed, and then we can read through the Bible, maybe a little bit of this theme. Uh, but there's, maybe he's justified in, in thinking that. Surely that's uh, what he said anyways. Essentially
1: his response to God is the same as the Israelites' response to Moses. They say, you let us out here to die, and he's giving the same argument to God, Right. you let me out here so, they so they're going to kill me, yeah. I
0: would have been nice and safe cushy, back in Egypt, you know. Uh, well, I guess before he he had to flee but the first, um, had with him. What's that? If this isn't the first problem? Oh, right. for sure, yeah. Like right. And, uh, yeah, his, the circumstances under which he, he first left Egypt, right? Um, he was afraid, I guess, maybe for the Egyptians, but maybe uh, for the Israelites. Um, you know, he broke up the, the two men fighting. And, uh, you know, what's going to happen here if, if people find this out? So um, why do I have this, this bold red line here other than that we're moving from Exodus to Numbers? Um, in the narrative here, what, what happens between Exodus 17 and, and Numbers 11? We talked a little bit about it the last couple weeks. Um, basically, they've received the covenant, right, between these two episodes. Um, chapter 24, Moses recounted to the people all the Lord's words and all the laws. He took the book of the covenant and read it uh, in hearing of the people, and they said, uh, all the Lord has spoken, we will do, and all we will heed. Right, we talked about that. They said that actually three times throughout the narrative. Um, so keep that in mind. We've, we've gone here, they've received the covenant, And yet the murmurings uh, continue. Let's uh, turn over to Numbers eleven. Can someone read one through three?
3: he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So that place was called Taberah because fire
0: from the Lord had burned among them. So here we said, or here, the first three, we kind of more or less saw God um, acquiescing to them, Right? turning the bitter water to drinkable quail and manna, the water comes forth. Uh, how has God's mode of response changed here? Well, he isn't anything verbally. Right. He's not saying anything. Um, right. And it says his wrath flared up, right? Um, so, you know... Whereas before maybe he's he's getting a little annoyed I don't know we can't kind of try to personify his thinking here he's like ah oh, you know still grumbling still grumbling more or less helping him out here uh, sends fire right it's a uh, right yeah exactly like okay uh, snap out of it here uh, did they mention Egypt in this grumble no okay so maybe they're learning um, and the place named Taberah basically means um, you know a great fire. Uh, burned here. Uh, Let's keep reading a little bit. I don't know if I want to read this whole thing. Um, I'll read a little bit, just starting in verse Uh, 4. My translation here uh, calls them the riffraff, which I think is is interesting. And the riffraff that was in their midst felt a sharp craving. And the Israelites, too, again wept and said, Who will feed us meat? We remember the fish we used to eat in Egypt for free. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, and now our throats are dry. There is nothing save the manna before our eyes. Uh, Reading on a little bit further. And Moses heard the people weeping by its clans, every man at the entrance of his tent, and the Lord's wrath flared fiercely. And in Moses' eyes it was evil. And Moses said to the Lord, Why have you done evil to your servant, and why have I found favor in your eyes to put the burden of all this people upon me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give birth to them? That you should say to me, bear them in your lap as the guardian bears the infant to the land that you swore to their fathers? From where shall I get meat to give to all this people? And when they weep to me, saying, give us meat that we may eat, I alone cannot bear this people, for they are too heavy for me. And if thus you would do with me, kill me, pray altogether, if I have found favor in your eyes, and let me not see my evil fate. And the Lord said to Moses, gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel of whom you know that they are the elders of the people and its overseers. And you shall take them to the tent of meeting, and they shall station themselves there with you. And I shall come down and speak with you there, and I shall hold back some of the spirit that is upon you and place it upon them. And they will bear with you the burden of the people, and you yourself will not bear it alone. So here they're, they're, I guess you could say hungry, but really they're kind of similar here to just discontent, like they want more than just the manna. Um, they want fish and meat. Did they mention Egypt? Yes, right. Like, remember how good we had in Egypt? Uh, everything we used to eat there, and now all we got is this, this, you know, boring manna. Um, so here we can kind of see uh, Moses um, a little bit bearing this burden that maybe was expressed in thinking they are going to kill him, right? Uh, so God, uh, a little bit, takes some of that off of them and says, um, you know, I'll I'll my spirit will come upon a few more of the people. Um, but basically, God's wrath, again, is flared up. Um, this place name we can read on um, uh, becomes known as Kibroth Hatava, which means graves of desire or lust, um, which I think is kind of interesting, these last three. Uh, basically, as they're wandering across the wilderness, they're just leaving place names that are an example of you know they're they're grumbling right and they're they're discontent. Um, let's read on a little bit. Uh, numbers 12. Uh, this is actually Miriam and, and Aaron uh, criticizing Moses, uh, not necessarily the whole people. Uh, and then Miriam is struck um, with leprosy, or his her skin is turned white. Uh, but no mention of Egypt. Um, 13 and 14. Uh, we're going to delve into a little bit deeper here um, in a minute, but it fits the same pattern. Uh, let's turn to six uh number 16. Someone read 12 through 14. 16 12 through 14. So not only do we have uh, Egypt mentioned here, but they're using the, the same description that God uses for the promised land, right? So we've, they've kind of flipped a, a total 180 and said, um, you know, the, that was the land we came from that's, that's full of milk and honey. Um, and this one doesn't end well if we keep reading on. Uh, number 17, uh, kind of same thing. Uh, let's get into numbers 20 Uh, can someone read? Let's start twenty and read through uh, thirteen, verse one through thirteen.
2: In the first scenario.
0: So it's interesting that that last reference here. This is kind of the same spot um, that we that we were at in Exodus 17. Um, but what's what's going on here? Why why is Moses uh, why are Moses and Aaron punished? Verse 10, it says. And Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly to the presence of the rock, and he said to them, Please listen, you rebels. Can we bring out water for you from this rock? I think that, can we bring out uh, water from this rock, right? Uh, and then God kind of lays it out for them. Uh, you did not trust me, the Lord, to sanctify this place. Um, you know, Basically, it seemed like they were kind of elevating themselves uh, in front of the people as the ones who were doing these things, uh, and then God punishes them there. Uh, and then last, uh, Numbers 21, they have this hunger again. They do mention Egypt again. God sends venomous snakes and then eventually the bronze uh, serpent uh, that they're to look upon and be healed. Um, so condensing this a little bit, we have this little schematic um, you know, from this book here that we've been reading. You have these two borders, uh, Egypt and and Moab, if we were to read further in, in numbers, um, each of these instances of, of their murmurings or grumblings um, a couple other events here, um, the golden calf, and then later uh, betraying God with uh, with the Moabites. Uh, kind of these the setting or the reason for their um, murmurings, and then the issues at hand. So let's focus a little bit on this, um, uh, the sending out of the scouts. So we're in numbers. Uh, we looked at this for Exodus a little bit. Uh, But recall in in the Hebrew Bible, the first kind of major word in the book is where it gets its name. So numbers they call Bamidbar, which basically means in the wilderness. Um, So what can we say about the experience in the wilderness so far for the Israelites? Yeah. Yeah, are they going to look back at this with fond memories or what's the... Think about, it. I think, uh, maybe it's easy to gloss over, just re- reading over it, how probably surreal this experience has been for them, right? Coming out of Egypt, uh, you know, the, the waters on each side, uh, God at Sinai in a cloud. This is all new stuff to them, right? Um, I think it's easy to gloss, gloss over that. Um, what else? Didn't they receive the covenant? In the wilderness? God tabernacle among them? So I think that's an interesting. Uh, you know, we tend to look at this wilderness of, oh, we're alone and cut off from everything. But really, this is when, when God was with them, right? Um, I like this quote. I don't know why it keeps doing that. But the miracles of the church seem to me to rest not so much upon faces or voices or healing power coming suddenly near to us from afar off, but upon our perceptions being made finer. So that for a moment our eyes can see and our ears can hear what is there about us always. So when you look at the, the tabernacle, which we'll talk a little bit more about next week, uh, you know, God is God is with them through this whole experience, right? And they just, they don't seem to be seeing it. Um, can someone, let's turn to book of Hosea. Uh, can someone read uh, chapter 2, 14 and 15? Thanks. So this is. Uh, can what does it say in your Bible? What's the little heading of, of that little chunk in Hosea? It says restoration. Okay. Anyone have anything about? Um, finish. Finish. Okay, man, yours. My mine said uh, the unfaithful wife is how it, it titled it there. So same idea. This is Israel um, who's been unfaithful to God, and where is he longing to meet? His people again. In the desert, in the wilderness, right? I think it's an interesting idea. Um, I found this book, uh, Bewilderment, which is uh, kind of a meditation on on numbers um, from Aviva Zornberg. I just wanted to read this little chunk. I shall lead her to the wilderness, uh, Midbar in Hebrew, and I shall speak, uh, which is uh, dibarti, with her heart. The words midbar and dibarti are set together in all their electric tension. They are the same say the sages. Out of this wilderness once issued the voice of divine revelation, as well as voices of human mistrust, which brought the core fantasies of the people into view. There the people once heard its own voice as it struggled with God's word in his light. In this way, Israel came to know God in naked reality. How strange that God should long to return to that place as though the people had responded there to God's words of love. I think that's an interesting idea and, and something to just kind of think about as we go on here. Um, the other thing to remember about the wilderness is it claims a whole generation of people, right? We read this like it's this whole group of people that makes it, but really it's only Joshua and Caleb, right, that, that get a, go on. Even Moses and Aaron, like we just read, um, won't make it. Um, so that's kind of, you know, one of the big ideas, right, of, of this wilderness uh, journey. And the other is this lack of faith uh, that, that we're kind of seeing here. Um, will someone read... Uh, we're gonna be in numbers 13 and 14 for a minute. Uh, will someone read numbers 13, uh, 1 through 27? Austin. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, that's great. Yeah, thanks, Chuck. Yeah, it's it's easy to be in Egypt and and kind of blind, right, to what uh, what you're missing. You just and even how they look back on Egypt, right? They're thinking it was you know everything they ever needed. Um, uh, thanks, Chuck. That's a great great comment. Anyone have anything else on that? I thought I saw a hand, maybe not. Um, numbers thirteen one through twenty seven. Can someone read that? Sure, yeah. Thanks. So, uh, why why were these scouts? Why did they go into Canaan in the first place? Verse one. God told them to. Yeah, right. God told them to. So, I think you know this is an interesting idea that maybe I hadn't thought about before. Um, this idea of you know seeing for yourself is not a bad thing, right? I don't know if the Israelites were skeptical, but from that long list we just saw, you could surmise that they were, right? Um, So God kind of basically condoned, said, go see. You know, go see what what I've promised for you. And then the last verse, 27, uh, we read, go figure, it is the land of milk and honey, right? Uh, Just like he told them. So we stopped at verse 27. Um, Let's start reading in verse 28. But mighty is the people that dwells in the land... And the towns are fortified and very big, and also the offspring of the giant we saw there. Amalek dwells in the Negeb land, and the Hittite and the Jebusite and the Amorite dwell in the high country, and the Canaanite dwells by the sea and by the Jordan. And Caleb silenced the people around Moses and said, We will surely go up and take hold of it, for we will surely prevail over it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We cannot go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And they put forth an ill report to the Israelites of the land that they had scouted, saying, The land through which we passed to scout is a land that consumes those who dwell in it. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of huge measure. And there we did see the Nephilim, sons of the giant, from the Nephilim. And we were in our own eyes like grasshoppers, and so we were in their eyes. So you get this great report, milk and honey, we got it, and then... But, right? Um, This word uh, in ancient Hebrew... Uh, same word f s in ancient Hebrew meant but and that 's why we get it translated as such. Uh, modern times this words come to mean zero, so basically they were saying uh, you know zero chance right this is nice and all, but we can't we can 't do it right um, they 're basically ruling out uh, the promise um, basically that God has given them, so we had the skepticism at first, maybe uh, go check it out and and they 're Really, just erasing uh, this idea of of ever making it into the into the promised land. Like, yeah, that sounds great. No chance, right? Let's keep reading in chapter fourteen. And all the community lifted their voice and put it forth, and the people wept on that night. And all the Israelites complained against Moses and against Aaron. And all the community said to them, "Would that we had died in the land of Egypt or in this wilderness? Would that we have died." And why is the Lord bringing us this land to fall by the sword? Our women and our little ones will become booty. We, would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said one man to another, Let us put up a head and return to Egypt. So this theme, right, of kind of longing for Egypt, kind of reached the head. They, they actually want to go back, right? They're setting up to go back. Um, let's keep reading. Uh, verse 11. Um, and the Lord said to Moses, "How long will this people despise me, and how long will they not trust me, and with all the signs that I have done in their midst?" So we've kind of got to God here a little bit, right? What's uh, His reaction is uh, is sounds a little bit like you know despair here, right? How long uh, will these people not have faith in me? Um, I think it's interesting. Jeff mentioned last week, and he's talked about it a little bit before in, in a sermon uh Tishba'av, the the saddest day in the, the Jewish calendar uh, said to be the day when the temple fall, fell twice. This is actually the first, uh, this day where their wailing went up was the first uh, mention of this day. So really it's uh, this disbelief, this wailing, this um, you know, turning around basically from God's promise is the first time we have that day marked which then becomes a day that, um, that they remember uh, really throughout their history. Um, another. All this makes me think that they really were. Uh, many of them were
1: probably relatively comfortable in Egypt, even if they were slaves.
0: Right. -hmm. Because it's like they're just throwing it away. Right. Yeah, this lack of faith, this disbelief. I mean, it's not like he hasn't done anything for them up to this point, right? It's not like they don't have, they can't remember uh, the power and the acts that they've seen him do.
3: Mm-hmm. It's just lush when the Nile overflows,
0: and they really did have a lot of food. Yeah, yeah there's a reason it was on the Nile, right? That's where you could grow stuff. and the leadership there shows great power. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting, uh, kind of like Tuck said, like, yeah, they were probably comfortable in Egypt. You're slaves, but your masters have a definite incentive to not let you all die. So you're being fed, you're being, you're, they're probably not wanting uh, for much. Hmm. And it's funny they even mention our, our women and our little ones. They already forgot that all their, their sons were being drowned, right? So it's yeah, it's kind of funny they've they have totally forgot this. And I think maybe that that's why God sent the, the spies in to look at the land to help them form that vision. Right. But still, they couldn't. Yep. Um, an idea in this commentary that. That I read here, um, the issue is the possibility of love. In the absence of certainty about God's love, can the human heart really love God, the land, others, itself? At heart, the issue is about about God. It's not about His power to bring them into the land, but about His love, His desire to bring them into full being, uh, which we can talk about in Egypt. They definitely weren't full being, right? Um, on this question, the mission of the spies collapses. Hatred and not love declares itself, projected onto God. Aggression rages, disruptions, bewilderments erode the received formulas. If faith is to become real, catastrophe must be acknowledged and fully spoken. So it's not just that they—they're um, not certain about it, right? Uh, but really, this zero chance—they're uh, certain that it won't work, right? It's not even uh, that I don't know, you know. We there's some probability we're assigning to to God pulling us out. They're saying, nope, it's done, um, and, and this is God's reaction. Uh, we see here, so so far we 've had a lot of negative examples of faithfulness or lack of faith let 's maybe look at some positive ones uh, in the Bible. Anyone want to guess where we 're going to talk about faith? New Testament Hebrews chapter eleven. Um, and this is maybe one of my favorite translations of any verse in the Bible. This is a David Bentley Hart New Testament translation. Now faithfulness is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of unseen realities. So this idea we've talked about for these uh, Israelites, they're missing the reality this entire time, right? It's, it is unseen, and, and faithfulness is the, the substance of this. Um, let's read, will someone read, uh, actually let's rewind, let's do chapter 10, uh, 38 and 39 of Hebrews. Hebrews. But my righteous one will live by faith, right? And then we get into chapter 11, uh, and we see what faith is. Uh, this word substance in the Greek is apostasis, uh, which if you, you get out your Strong's concordance, is defined as that which underlies the apparent, or that which is the basis of something. Uh, we actually have the same word in Hebrews 1 through 3, describing Jesus um, there it's translated the radiance of his, which is God's, glory, and the representation of his essence, sustaining all things by the word of power. So we get this idea uh, that just like Jesus uh, represents God, and, and there's a lot going on there, faithfulness is kind of representing this unseen reality, um, this this hope that we have um, when God's plan is finally fulfilled. Um, so this idea of of maybe making our perceptions finer from that quote we read, um, the people that we see in in Hebrews uh, have kind of got there, whereas the Israelites we haven't seen or we haven't seen evidence of this. Can someone read verse eleven in Hebrews eleven? Right, so Sarah was considered faithful. Why? She considered, right? She thought, she knew uh, what God had done for her, uh, just like the the Israelites somewhere deep know, but they don't act upon it, right? Sarah does. And Abraham, uh, the same thing, uh, 17 through 19. um, Abraham reasons that God is faithful. Um, So really, you know, this idea, we kind of think of faith maybe sometimes as, as this blind trust, or just, you know, get there in your mind and then go for it. Really, Abraham, Sarah, the Israelites, faith is what you have when you know there's a good reason to believe, right? You know what God has done for you up to this point, um, you know, not necessarily when there's no evidence. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul Paul writes this same idea, right? The death and resurrection of Jesus is a reality, right? And then he even goes on and say. Uh, talk to so and so and so and so and so and so, they're all still alive. You know, this, this is reality, what happened. Um, so then, what do we do? I think it's verse 8 in Hebrews 11. Will someone read that? So, Abraham, uh, he didn't just reason, what did he do? He obeyed, right? Um, he went out. He did something about it. Um, so I found this quote. This is from Tim Mackey, who uh, does a lot with the Bible Project. If you guys have seen those videos online, it's, it's a pretty cool work that they're doing. Um, but this idea of, of faithful obedience is about living in the present as if the future has already arrived, right? And that's what the Israelites just could not do. They, they were so stuck on their present circumstance, they didn't know that, You know, God had already promised this to them. Um, So in our Exodus context, you could translate that. Faith is about living in the wilderness as if you're already in the promised land, right? So then this is a question uh, I'd pose um, for us to think about maybe this week. Um, Can you identify an area in your life that makes no sense in the wilderness, uh, but can only be explained by your faith in the promised land? So if we're going to wear the name Christians and we know the, the rest of the story, um, it should be evident, right? Maybe the way you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you treat other people, um, the things you choose to focus on. Uh, they may not make sense in the, the wilderness, right, in the, the worldly view, but we know uh, know the rest of the story. Any ideas on that or, or faithfulness? or Chappie, can I have you close us in prayer? Yeah. thanks everyone so one more week Seth will be back next week